0: In this episode, suicidal superhero Frank King and I came up with a few sketches. Going to like the X-Mansion, right? Right. And the training program is not like you go in the danger room and you do all this stuff. It's more of like they
1: just basically bring out all your depression. Which, by the way, was Superman. The one thing he's vulnerable to is a piece of his old planet. Yeah. I think that's instructive because, you know, it's like saying, hey, didn't you used to live here?
0: And it's, not, and it's not that it's got some sort of radiation. No. It's just like it causes him so much like immediate trouble. I'll, I'll, I'll
1: be here in a puddle. You'll never be depressed again, never have another suicidal thought. So
0: we, can, we can fix this. Yeah.
1: And, uh, but you, you're going to But lose, you're also
0: going to have gonna this lose other your, side effect. Yeah, you're going to lose is, your superpower. Right. What? Yeah. No, I'll deal with the crap. Which one did we pick? You'll find out on this episode of It is a Sketch Comedy Podcast Show. Welcome to Sketch Comedy Podcast Show, the one-of-a-kind show where I, Stuart Rice, invite interesting people to have intriguing conversations and then improvise a comedy sketch based on what was talked about. Visit SketchComedyPodcastShow.com dot com to subscribe, get links, buy merchandise, and even apply to be on the show. Enjoy the show. We enjoyed making it. Thank you so much for listening. Frank King is always on the verge of committing suicide. It is a feeling that has plagued him since he was young, passed down from previous generations. When faced with a problem, Frank always sees an option a lot of people do not see, killing himself. Where most would see this as a detriment, Frank has turned suicide into a lucrative career as a comedian, public speaker, and TED Talker. As the mental health comedian, Frank confronts the standard taboos associated with suicide and speaks openly about it, letting people know that they are not alone and creating a dialogue that allows people to get the help that they need. On a personal note, this episode could not have come at a better time. Though you may not hear in my voice, I was desperately struggling with these feelings myself, and it was because of this discussion that I was able to get help for myself. Frank, in his talking about ending one's own life, actually helped me overcome those feelings in myself. And of course, I need to put out a warning. This episode dives pretty deeply into depression, mental illness, and, of course, suicide. My suggestion, don't be afraid to confront it. Knowing that there are others that struggle helps. Knowing that you can use it as a superpower is incredibly empowering. If you are feeling those feelings, however, then please do the world a favor and call 1-800-273-8255. You are worthwhile, and the world is a better place with you. At least I think so. You listen to my show, and that makes you incredibly special to me. Thank you. You can hear and see more of Frank on his website. TheMentalHealthComedian.com, where you can listen to his TED Talks, subscribe to his podcast, and even hire him to come and do a keynote for your company. This was one of my favorite episodes. It literally saved my life. And now, my conversation with Frank King, comedian, TED speaker, and suicidal superhero. Frank! Frank! Thank you so much for uh, hanging out. By the way, we're at the. Um, I've got the Stockholm syndrome.
1: I'm beginning to like him. He kidnapped me. That was bad.
0: We're at the Holiday Inn. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give it a little bit of a uh, uh,
1: plug. A plug. Thank you.
0: I, uh, <laughs> Hi, I he's a little the slow. Show. It's you know, uh, Holiday Inn in Camas, Washington. It's brand new. They Actually, allowed us to use this beautiful meeting room. That's uh, frigid, but yeah, yeah. colder been nice. a mother-in-law's love. But hey, the price was right. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, Frank. Yes
1: what makes you interesting mm. well let's see uh i the as uh, ever mentioned lifeline their phone number um i've come close enough to killing myself that i know what the barrel of my gun tastes like that's pretty close interesting that is that is interesting that is uh visceral like my, that i can taste it yeah as yeah. could i actually yeah. and every, every now and then somebody will say to me um because i've never actually been officially diagnosed with mental illness, I have two mental illnesses. One's called major depressive disorder. Okay, depression. Uh, what it means is it um, it lasts two days to two weeks. For me, it's about two days, and recurs, and it's generally not situational. Um, the other one's called chronic suicidality or chronic suicidal ideation, which means for me, people like me, my tribe, the option of suicide's always on the menu as a solution problems large and small. When I say small. My car broke down a couple of years ago. I had three thoughts unbidden. Get it fixed, buy a new one. Or I could just kill myself. <laughs> yeah, that's chronic <laughs> suicidality. Mm-hmm. The thing about that is um, when I speak, I always tell that story. And almost always after I get done, I always tell people, look, we'll do a little Q&A generally for everybody. And if you got a question you don't want to ask in front of the entire group, like, hey, I'm crazy. Can you help me? I'll hang around. And oftentimes somebody comes up, they have that chronic suicidality. They didn't know I had a name, they just thought they're some kind of freak. And I've had people weeping. You know, a woman said to me, I enjoyed your keynote, but it made me weep. I go, How did it make you weep? She goes, When I've had those thoughts, you know, when you said get it fixed, buy new one, you could just kill yourself. I've been having those thoughts all my life. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I heard you say that out loud, I realized for the first time in my life, I'm, I'm not alone. Right. So it's possible that I steered her far enough off the path of suicide that she'll live a, you know, whatever a normal life would be. Okay. Now the upshot of that is picture this. I'm Billings, Montana. Okay. I just finished college. I do a uh, college suicide prevention as well. Okay. University of Montana, Billings. I just finished. I'm standing outside. It's dusk, starting to the snow. They're not far away as a river. You can hear the water. Kids going to get the truck to take me back to the hotel. So I think, it, I think, I think, I think the scene actually triggered this in my head. So snow river, dusk. And I was thinking about all the people who came up this parade of people who came up after my, you know, they didn't know they had it. thought they were a freak, you know, perhaps on a path to suicide. And it hit me. I'm George Bailey. And it's a wonderful life because I've been shown what these people's lives might have been like Mm -hmm. if I were not there to speak and just decode that for them to let them know they in fact have something that has a name and there's lots of us and you can survive it. And they're not alone. My second thought was, Oh my God, I can't kill myself because I take all those people with me. Right. And that's depressing in its own right. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. My third thought was as a comic, if I did kill myself, they would chase me through eternity You You couldn't wait a week, right? So, uh, before we go any further,
0: can I talk to you about this? Can I ask you a question after? Is
1: that interesting enough? Yeah, no, that is really interesting.
0: (laughs) So, um, now focusing on that, that you are a stand-up comedian, correct? Thirty-four years full-time. Okay, Um, and that is so. We were just talking about this that you know, when you're a stand-up comedian, you talk in very violent terms. Yeah, I, right. I killed. I right. died. Yeah. And it's but in your case, you were actually that was a consideration. <laughs> it was a consideration. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh and w- at what age did you start to have that like that was a
1: thing that started to happen for you? Let's back up a little bit if we can. Sure, absolutely. Uh comedy. Mm-hmm. My mom's funny, my sister's funny. Uh fourth grade, I told my first joke, and <laughs> the, the entire student, you know, everybody in the class laughed and I thought, I'm gonna do this for a living. Mm-hmm. Um I did the senior high school talent show senior year nobody had ever done stand up and that was 75. kind of the best that's about the time that leno drove out to la in his car i was living in his car eating oranges so many oranges his mouth cracked on either side oh, um, not the year i was born uh, shut up <laughs> and uh i hate you and um then i told my mom i was going to be a comedian because i was going to go you know, straight into comedy mm-hmm. and she comes from a long line of well, uh, everybody in the family had an education. The women, especially, all the, all my aunts and all my you know everybody, all the women especially had an education. Uh, you know, as a as a buffer against hard times, you know, lose a husband, husband ease, whatever. So she goes, "Well, uh, you're gonna go to college. Whatever you do when you get done, I don't care. You could be a goat herder if you want to be, but you're gonna be a goat herder with a degree." So I went to UNC Chapel Hill. got two degrees, actually. Easiest thing I could find, poli-sci. Sure. So you know why? Because there's no right answer. If you can bullf- right. bullshit hard enough, you can get a B. Um,
0: I so- got through business school using Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I wrote like 18 papers on Maslow's hierarchy <laughs> of needs. I think I just went and find, found words and just switched them and then submitted the paper.
1: boy. Did it. That's creative writing. <laughs> so I did. Uh, and I had dated I girl all the way through high school. And then she went to University of Arizona. I went to UNC, but we maintained that relationship for years. Wow. Yeah. And I was a virgin when I hit the altar now, bear in mind. Yeah, I know. Wow. 10,000 women, Southern Bells, 10,000 women at UNC. And I, and it was 1972 through 75, no 75 through 79, 75 through 79. The reason those years are important, it was the last four years of the sexual revolution. Yeah. I never even got off a shot. Huh. Yeah. I mean, my I, heart cries for you. I know. <laughs> I I beat it like it owed me money. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which, by the way, is my TED talk coming up uh, November 3rd. It's called okay. Mental Health and the Orgasm Treat Your Depression Single Handedly. Oh. My, my smartphone is my second favorite handheld device. Um, so I graduated. Uh, is this okay for the podcast? We said mm, mm-hmm. okay. Um, I graduated, uh, and I don't know. We, we dated all all the way through high school, all the way through college. Maintained that relationship. And you know, when you graduate, that's kind of a uh, pivot point in your life. If you've dated that long, it's either get married or you know go your separate ways. Correct. And that's how I got engaged. She goes, "Look, I'm not going to keep dating you. We're too old. Twenty two. Oh my gosh. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to live with you, which would have been my choice. Least was an option to buy." um uh marry me or i'm out of here that's how i got engaged okay yeah nothing like a shotgun engagement man i'm telling you and going down the, <laughs> going down the aisle mm-hmm. i knew intuition was screaming you know it, it, I, when he said do you take i said I, I said i do in my head i heard i'll try Ouch. <laughs> here's the deal you don't try marriage you try great nuts for a couple of weeks. yeah you try sports Illustrated for a month it doesn't r- work out right you know cancel across the uh the bill <laughs> So anyway, the reason I tell you all that is we moved to San Diego. Uh, I couldn't find a job. I interviewed 77 times. UNC has a fabulous placement center. They brought in, you know, people from all over the country to interview graduates to get jobs. I interviewed 77 times, literally. No second interviews, no job offers. Now I look back and I think, well, they're probably good at their job. They took one look at me and said, this guy's a clown. And they're right exactly so her father's in the insurance business he wangled a, a job for me at his insurance company as a marketing rep which was a great job by the way and in the insur- probably the best one in the insurance business sure Now uh, you're not selling anything you're just marketing right uh and it- who knows how to measure marketing yeah really yeah. hey look use our <laughs> use our business owner's policy let's go to lunch um and you get a car and a little expense kind oh I, I, I wish i'd kept the job to this day because it was so easy anyway uh, there were, in San Diego, where we moved to, there was a comedy store. There's one on 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 um, yeah, uh, in Hollywood on the uh, Was on uh, Hollywood Boulevard? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And so um, every time I drove by there, I felt this magnetic pull. Yeah. <sighs> and so the reason I tell you all that is, my third TED talk is called "Suicide: The Secret of My Success." Dead man talking. I, at that moment, after being married to my first wife, a couple of years was doing insurance, hated it, in that marriage where I didn't belong. A wonderful woman, but we just didn't belong together. Sure. Miserable. And uh, I realized if that I was gonna kill myself sooner rather than later, because it runs in my family. My grandmother died by suicide, my mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide, my mother and I found her. I was four years old. Oh, wow. Involved a refrigerator. I'll spare you the details, the old lock type. Um, my first Ted talk, if you go to franktedtalk.com Ted talk.com, it'll, that your URL will take you right to that first Ted talk. I came out as depressed and suicidal at age 52 in that first Ted talk. Nobody knew my family, my friends, my wife. No it's one of those knew. things we tend to keep to ourselves, right? We don't want to share it. Cause it's a, you know, you don't want to burden other people with it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Plus there's a stigma attached, there's mm-hmm. a stigma attached to mental illness and a separate stigma attached to thoughts of suicide. Right. It's like a double stigma. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm a happy guy and I, and I got a great job, you know, love
0: doing comedy and, yeah, and yeah. people associate sadness with suicide and it's like, no, 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 no,
1: no, 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 no. <sighs> I, I was most depressed at some of the best times in my life. Sure. Okay. And then we'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. So I'm, de- I'm depressed and suicidal. And I'm, I, I was, it was, uh, the, it was a winter of 84, 83 driving on 163 in San Diego. It's five o'clock in the afternoon, it's kind of a low point in my biorhythms. Probably going to some insurance appointment. It's overcast, it's raining. And- In San Diego? uh, No, (laughs) it does occasionally, okay. Uh, Never rains in Southern California. Um, And I had that, that's the first time I'd had that thought. I had the thought, just kill yourself. I'm like, what the? That was the first time I'd consciously had that thought. A friend of mine who has similar conditions says, You know, the biplanes or the planes that pull the little banner behind them like that. Mm -hmm. It's like that. uh, It goes across your brain. Why don't you just go ahead and kill yourself? And that was the first time I had had been depressed. I was depressed in college, but didn't know that's what it was. I just thought I was pining away from my girlfriend. Sure. But I was, I'm sure I was depressed. (laughs) (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm cheating on Um, The So I realized uh, if I didn't, And I was not going to open mic night, which is I knew in my heart, that's where I belonged. Uh, Intuition, and I've never, haven't ignored my intuition since that first marriage, by the way. Um, I knew that's where I belonged. So when I realized I was gonna kill myself, if I didn't do something, I thought, well, damn, I can divorce my wife, quit my job. I can try comedy, which is where I think I belong. And if it doesn't work out, I can still kill myself. So (laughs) The fact In that, that way, it kind of takes a weight off your shoulders. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, there's nothing more powerful on the planet than somebody with absolutely nothing to lose truth. The the metaphor I use is, or simile, is you're standing on the edge of a cliff. You're looking down, maybe 10 stories, beautiful lake, deep, beautiful, but coming up behind you is a raging wildfire. So if you stay where you are, you are definitely going to die, but if you jump, Fall may kill you at 10 stories You I mean your terminal velocity mm-hmm. or you may hit correctly and swim away. And so it, I said to somebody, it wasn't really a choice. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, it's you got to make the jump because yeah. you have to. Yeah, because there's no because you're, you're going to die. Right. That's how I opened the TED Talk. What would you what what would you what audacious thing would you would do? Would you do if you knew for a fact you had nothing to lose? What dream would you pursue if you knew by staying put and not pursuing it? You would literally die. And what I've discovered since then is I've met a number of people, entertainers and entrepreneurs have the same basic thought process. Mm-hmm. I think Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain both underlying mental illness, both self medicating. Both of them came to a, a juncture in their lives. Um, Bourdain was at Vassar, studying I don't even know what. Good school, probably good program. He's probably thinking when I graduate, I'll get a good job. But he fell in love with food when he was eight years old, and his folks took him to France. Mm -hmm. And from that moment, as soon as he was old enough to get a work permit as a teenager, he'd been working in restaurants. And when he went to college faster, he was working in two different restaurants. He loved culinary. I'm guessing he came to the juncture where he's thinking, you know what? Good school, good major, probably get a good job, but that's not my life. Right. I'm going to kill myself. And then thought, well, I'll just go to culinary school. If it works out great. If it doesn't, hell. Still kill myself. You still do that. Yeah. 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 Um, And Kate Spade, uh she was the uh editor of the accessories department, accessories, accessories at um Vanity Fair Magazine, I believe. Okay. I believe she came to the same juncture, you know, underlying mental illness, self-medicating, where she said to herself, I'm not supposed to be reviewing other people's fashions. I'm supposed to have my own fashion line. I'm gonna kill myself. Wait a minute. <laughs> I can establish my own line if it works, great. it doesn't. And I've got a comedian friend. We had this conversation. I helped to get in the corporate market out of the clubs clubs, are tough on women. Cause you're traveling, you're living in yeah. a condo. Well, cl- clubs are tough a, on anybody, anybody, but, yeah. but, but the living, you're living with two other guys, mm-hmm. two guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My wife and I traveled together. Actually, uh, we were on the road 2,629 nights in a row, nonstop. Wow. Seven years. And she just came along for the ride, which is highly unusual at the time. I mean, nobody brought their wife. that was, that was the whole point of going on a road was, you know, yeah, as soon as you leave away. the zip code, boom, boom, boom. Um, <laughs> you know, the marriage license is not that anymore. Uh, so, and I, I worked with Seinfeld and Dennis Miller and, uh, Adam Sandler and Rosie and Ellen DeGeneres and Paula Poundstone and Foxworthy and Ron, I mean, opened up, worked with them, you know, well, they're just comics and, and live with them in those condos, you know, most times not in a hotel, but we actually go home from the show, sit around, drink a beer, watch the Letterman. Anyway. Um, Make fun uh, and then uh, critique whoever was on Letterman. Yes, that, and lament uh, the fact that we weren't there. And yeah, exactly. I, I got turned. I wrote jokes for Leno, by the way, for twenty years. Right by fax, um, and I submitted to Leno, Letterman, and Conan. They were the three at the time. A dozen times each to do stand up, and never got on. My mm. jokes got on, but I never did. Anyway, oh, I was talking to my my friend, female friend, who I helped get out of clubs and into corporate comedy. Money's better. They're happy to see you. Mm-hmm. You're special. You know, accommodations are like this, like the Holiday Inn instead of the, you know, the motel where they ask you, "Are you sure you want the room for the whole night?" Or you know, what couch are you going to be uh, sleeping <laughs> yeah, on? Tonight? exactly. That's comics. <laughs> yeah, and I've got friends my age still doing it. And I'm like, you are. Every now and then, if I'm in a, I mean, a Holiday Inn. This Holiday Inn is lovely, uh, but I'll be in like a Phoenician in Phoenix, like five star, you know, with the right. bathrobe and, and I'll take a photograph and post it on Facebook and I go, "If you're 60 years old or better." you're still doing comedy clubs you may be doing it wrong (laughs) uh so she said do you want to know frank the real reason i got in stand up full time i said sure tell me she goes now it's dark i go i love dark she goes well i'm working for an association in washington dc and i'm just miserable my only joy two nights a week open mics and it hit me she said that if i didn't get out of the association business it was a good job Gonna kill myself. And she goes, and she starts to speak, and I go, Let me tell you how this comes out. Then you said to yourself, Well, I could quit that job, try comedy. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I can still kill myself. She goes, How do you know that? No, honey, I lived it. So I think there are because I I, here the my TED talks, the, the way I feel about TED Talks is that um all the information is out there for a TED talk. It's what I do is I see a pattern, by the way, mentally ill people do this all the time. I see a pattern that nobody else has quite recognized yet and think, wait a minute. And the pattern I saw was one third of entrepreneurs are reportedly, three studies I read, depressed and suicidal, and the clinicians believe it's lack of sleep, um, long hours, and unmet expectations. I believe that's probably the case in most of them, but I bet there's a subset where they're not depressed and suicidal because they're entrepreneurs. They are, in fact, entrepreneurs because they were depressed and suicidal sure. as I was. That's what gave me the idea for the uh, TEDx talk. That's all the information's out there, but nobody ever quite saw it from that perspective. That's like stand up comedy. I can teach you to write jokes, I can teach you to perform. I cannot teach you to see the world and process the way I process. Right. I'm on a plane, Delta. It's the day after they said you could use your smartphone and iPad on takeoff or landing if it's in the airplane mode. Okay. Delta flight it's is very southern. Uh, she's going through the spiel, you know, fly on um, uh, sea cushions, floor path lighting, oxygen mask. Well, the problem with the iPhone, iPad, FAA thing, it's not written down. She's got to come up with something. So she gets the end of her normal spiel. She knows she's got to say something about that iPhone. So there's a long pause. And then she gets inspired. And I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat because you know it's improv. Yeah. Yeah. She goes, Ladies and gentlemen, due to new FAA regulation, you can almost hear her thinking. She gets inspired. She goes, Due to new FAA regulation, if you have small equipment, you can continue playing with it. I am bent over double laughing. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my seatmates look at me like, What? I go, Let's review. Before I can review, she comes back on. If you have large equipment, you have to shove that under the seat in front of you. So I'm down on my knees. Um. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was the only person on the. Floor. Everybody heard that. Everybody. Nobody else caught that. Yeah, because that's the way my brain processes. Uh, that. I can't teach. That's keep, magic. I can't. And, and here's the thing. My and I keep saying my my my, my second TED talk, uh, our third, um, was called Mental Benefits: The Evolutionary Advantages of Mental Illness. Because again. I saw a pattern where nobody else, I don't think I'd ever seen it. Every time I met a parent with a child who had whatever, autism, ADD, ADHD, bipolar, whatever, first paragraph is always about the illness. Second paragraph, unfailingly, was about their superpowers. But he's creative, he's smart, he's funny, Mm -hmm. he's artistic, he's athletic. And I thought it cannot be a coincidence. So I started doing some research. Sure enough. Um, I believe that mental illness is not, this is the opening of the, uh, what if those of us living with a mental illness are not living with a genetic mutation, but an amazing evolutionary adaptation. And what if Mm. mental illness is as Malcolm Gladwell says of such things in his book, David and Goliath, Mm -hmm. a desirable disadvantage. You wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I believe my comedic ability is just the flip side of my mental illnesses Sure, I I um I actually agree with
0: what you're saying. I uh, people that I know that are that have trauma in their past, mm-hmm. right? They're hyper vigilant, and so they can see things that you know some of us can't. Yeah. Right. Like that. Uh, that. What blew me away was I had a friend. We were playing. This is gonna sound so smart. Call of Duty. Yeah. Right. The video game. Oh yeah. yeah. And I'm terrible at it because I'm like running around. And the next thing I know, I'm dead. Like, that's (laughs) how I play video games. He is like, you got to watch out for that thing up there. You got to do this. You got to do that. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, but okay. And he's just able to see things in the world anywhere that I can't see. And it's sort of like that superpower that kind of came from this this place where it it was uh, traumatic or whatever it was that he went through. But he actually it adapted into, like you said, a superpower.
1: Yeah, because and with trauma, a lot of times, I uh, got a friend who was in a kind of a violent household. Uh, was a household as a child, and she just did a TED talk, said about being in a household like that. You don't think her whole thing was on. Um, you cannot, you cannot make a change unless you can see it's possible to make a change, and the problem being in a violent household like that is. <clears throat> You're not thinking about, gosh, I wonder if I could fix that. I wonder if I could change that. You are constantly on alert. Mm-hmm. You are not acting. You are just simply reacting. You, you, you're never actually proactive. You're right. always just waiting, <laughs> waiting, you know, to react or whatever happens. Mm-hmm. You know, so two people walking down the street, one's been traumatized like that. <clears throat> And uh, rabbit comes out the, you know, the person has been traumatized like, Oh, right. Right. Whereas the other person like, it's a bunny. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're up for the crane kick. You're ready to yeah. take out, out. She said ever because you so, go
1: from a one. Yeah. To a nine. All the hormones are dumping you just in, in your mind it's an alligator that just came out of the, you know, by the time you realize, Oh, it's a bunny. Right. Yeah. And I, I,
0: uh, so my, uh,
1: uh
0: she's probably not gonna she's not gonna watch this my daughter uh <laughs> to be the one she watches right yeah this one. uh but she's got really incredibly high anxiety mm-hmm. like she is you know using that scale of one to ten she is normally at a at an eight and then just goes above that whenever um but because of that she is always super hyper prepared for everything yeah like there's never a situation she's like hasn't thought through and considered or planned for it's it's really interesting because it's a superpower it's a superpower but
1: i wouldn't wish it on anybody no, It's a <laughs> yeah well and at the end of my ted talks i always try to give you some action items like you know frank that's really interesting well what the what are we gonna do well the mental benefits where the you know the the kid with the, for example a kid with add back in the day back in caveman times these things were survival skills for example mm-hmm anthropologists believe most cave people were bipolar, because you had four months in the summer to gather enough stuff for eight months in the winter. So they were uber hunters and gatherers. They were hypersexual, which is a is a um, to this day, women of a childbearing age um, are susceptible to bipolar. And that's because you had to keep the numbers up in the tribe. So back then bipolar was a survival skill, as was uh, ADD. You know, back then, Pretty much anything could eat and or or kill and or eat you. It's like Australia. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a dangerous <laughs> land. Uh, so if you got a kid nowadays with squirrel, that's funny. However, back then, Velociraptor, that's a survival skill. So they have just unfortunately come forward in time to where they, in, in our modern world, those are considered disabilities. But again, what I said at the end was, look, you know, they have something called IEP, Individual Education Plan. Mm-hmm. What do you say? <laughs> Just You know, sort of shits and grins. We really make them individual education plans. Got a kid with uh, dyslexia. Dyslexia have better peripheral vision. They also tend to see things in a panoramic fashion. Most people tend to focus. It's like on the news when you see the stuff blurred out on the other side like this. Right. That's how most <clears throat> people see things. But dyslexia generally see them in a, in a panoramic view. And they had the uncanny ability, oftentimes, to pick out the anomaly in anything. The joke I wrote for the TED Talk was, never play Where's Waldo for money with a dyslexic because you're going to (laughs) lose. Boom, it's right there. So why not take a kid who's got dyslexia and don't put him in the STEM program, science, technology, education, or engineering, mathematics, right? You're just setting him up to him because every one of those has one right answer. Why not put him in humanities and, uh, and they're great at multi-level, uh, you know, um, multi-level complex tasks and uh, art and where there's not a lot of numbers and letters and things By the same token, if you have somebody who has, um, OCD and they are, you know, they are, uh, attention to detail and very precise. STEM is great because there's one right answer to every one of those in every one of those disciplines and then steer them in a career path like the OCD to accounting where they value someone who has can focus and and precision is important and to the penny is important and they'll be rewarded for that. They'll get more. They'll be paid higher than just an average human being because they are great at that. Does That make sense. Yeah, it makes complete sense. So and- make, make the IEP truly an individual. And don't put every six year old in first grade. Well, wow. <laughs> you know, some, some six-year-olds belong in first grade, but not right. all of them. Anyway.
0: But I think it goes back to that stigma. It's like we put a stigma on um, on exactly that. Uh, maybe the kid's not prepared to go into school yet. Yeah. There must be something wrong with that kid because now all of a sudden they're a seven-year-old in first grade and that kid over there is five and a half. Like yeah. that kid's smarter than that kid. It's not necessarily the case. Well, when I was a
1: kid, they held you back. Yeah. There was a huge stigma about yeah. being held back. Now, if you think about it, being held back a year, by the time you get to high school, you're a year older, a year bigger. <laughs> you sure, you, there's a reason the Mormons send their, their their kids on a two-year mission. I know it's to spread the word of the you know the LDS, but also if that's a football player. And he comes back two years later. That's a good. And they're eligible to pay play for four years. four years. Four years. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. So I mean, there is, you know, but uh, yeah, but there's a stigma with being. Why in- isn't Brigham Young not the number one team in the nation? Well, there's a friend of mine had a joke. Um, <laughs> the uh, you know, because African Americans were not allowed into the oh, okay. until until <laughs> okay. they realized they needed a good front line on football, and all of a sudden it's okay with everybody. It's okay. Yeah. So you know, make it make it into yeah, but again, the stigma of being held back or whatever is is or putting. This, when, when I was a kid with special education, the short bus, right, you yes. know, that kind of thing. Yep. And there are a good really no people I know who who have a mental illness who were misdiagnosed and ended up in a special, you know, uh, I, a friend who had a, was in an automobile accident. He was um, 18 months old. It was involved uh, drunk driving. He goes, I should have never been driving. Um, but it gave him some brain damage and caused him some physical abnormalities, but he's sharp. He's a comic. He's sharp as a tack. But because he sounded a little different and he moved a little different back then, you know, he goes, listen, there's no, there's no pride in being the um, smartest guy on the short bus." <laughs> I Yes. Yeah, yeah. Because, but he was just labeled that in the special ed. Yeah. So anyway, anyway so um, I'm not sure where I was going with
0: that. Well, I, you know, it's, it's just about thinking differently. Like <clears throat> there's just different ways of thinking. Each, every person's got a different brain yeah. that works differently. And right now we are, we're trying to stuff everybody in the square peg. Yeah. Right. Like that's, that's what's happening. And w- it would be kind of neat to see what would happen if we took this child that we actually think is just, you know, borderline, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And put them in the right kind of program. See what, what happens with them.
1: I, in my talk, I said, um, you need to, to do your best to mitigate the, um, the, uh, negative, the issues with the mental illness but then you need to embrace, enhance, and energize those special abilities. I met a guy, I was doing a training and he had a kid who had autism. Uh, and um, he said, I said, well, just out of curiosity, does he have any special powers? He goes, oh man, he's amazingly athletic. I go, really? He "Yeah, we bought a membership to a sw- um, swim club within like a weekend, a week, maybe 10 days. The kid had taught himself to do the Australian crawl and breathe on both sides. It took me a month as an adult to work out that breathing on both sides when you're doing the crawl. And, uh, I said, "How am on land lightning fast. He said, I got to tell you a story. He said, we went to special Olympics and they're all lined up there for the hundred yard dash. The kid's name was Noah. And the gun goes off and all the other kids take off toward the finish line. Well, Noah doesn't know what the gun's all about. He's, He's never- just like, what's that? Yeah. And so, uh, his said it was like, um, Uh, Forrest Gump, run, for run. (laughs) So the kid gets the idea. Oh, run! They got a twenty-yard head start. He beats everybody to the finish line. Wow! I said, you know, you know what I'm going to tell you. He goes, I know what you're going to say, Frank. We need to encourage any sports that he takes great joy in. Mm -hmm. That's where we need to put our our emphasis. Oh, and he said, um, there had been some problems in the neighborhood because he was different. five, six years old, and I guess some of the other kids have been picking on him, and so. The gentleman I was talking to said, you know, I just went over to the kid's house and said, I need to talk to your father. And and the father comes to the door and, and you know, in certain terms, uh, listen, your kid's a dick. <laughs> and it's got to stop. <laughs> and it did. You know, when you, when you meet it head on. Oh, yeah. Don't you know, dance around, you know. No. Uh,
0: uh, I'm sorry about coming and bothering.
1: You. No, well, and, I, and then what I said to him was, okay, here's the thing. Let's—he's five or six now, lightning fast. Here's where it reduces stigma and bullying in the long term. The kids that good athletically. So let's say you're it's a Saturday and you're standing on the sand lot and you're picking up teams for football, touch football, and these guys are here talking and go, look, uh, we got first pick. So I know this is going to sound really strange, but Noah, I know he's a weird kid. But pick him! I'm telling I'm tellin you, mm-hmm. the guy is like an amazing wide receiver. So you know how it is when you're a kid. Being picked first has a whole different connotation than being picked last. I wouldn't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nicely done. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I play basketball, and um, I'm I love the game, but I'm not particularly good at it. I got lungs and legs and heart. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, and so every now and then we're picking up teams and somebody new has come to the court and they're the captain, they're picking up teams and they're about to pick me because I'm six one. And everybody else may be a little short. I go, no, 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 hold on. No, don't waste a pick. Just pick me number five. Just trust me. On yeah. You're, right. you're and right. Somebody one day we're out there playing goes, I'm the worst player on the court. I go, hold on. That's my job. Yeah. Hold my beer. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's, you know, it's, you have no limitations. I love the game. Uh, and like I said, I I, I was playing uh, Centralia, Washington. We were living there and there's a, there was a loose ball. One of my teammates, is pickup was standing between me and the loose ball. Standing, flat footed. So I knocked him down on the way to the ball and I got the ball. And he came over, he goes past, he goes, man, I'm on your team, you knocked me down. I go, you were standing still. <laughs> You're not doing anybody any good. And by the way, the guy who knocked you down has an AARP card, just live with that, just <laughs> <that> FYI. <for you. laughs> So anyway, um, that's, uh, let's see. So, so fast forward, uh, comedy for eight, seven years, got a job in radio in Raleigh at the rock station. Okay. Um, it was the number one morning show in Raleigh. Cause I've been through there a bunch of times. Said, Hey, if you ever have an opening. So they hired me. I, I took a number one morning radio show and drove it to number six in 18 months. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to do. Um, yeah, I didn't drive it into the ground. I drove it into the middle earth. um, <laughs> Got fired. Still friends with the program director. Uh, they got. It's not personal. No, we it was suck. Well, he he's <laughs> one of those managers who uh, was actually a leader.
0: Okay. When, when he yes. he
1: called me in to fire me, you could tell it pained him. Mm-hmm. When I had my first uh, heart valve replacement, because my dad had a bad heart valve died at forty. I had the same thing turned out, and I had to have replaced. It's a, I got a man replaced. Oh, so your it.
0: dad died at forty. Yeah, I, oh. uh, he had a
1: bicuspid aortic valve. And it just locks up at some point. Mm. Um, I got mine fixed it. I was watching it and got it fixed at 39. First person through the door after my surgery was my former boss at the radio station. Came oh. in, yeah, and, and he's hired me since, again, for another project. And we're still friends. Um, and then when I left the radio station, uh, he said, go back on the road doing comedy. Well, the Comedy Road Club was disappearing, was seeking a lower plateau. It's right. come back up since. Yeah. This is after the nineties, is what it's you're like mid nineties. Yeah, by yeah. ninety four, ninety five was mm-hmm. it was like this. Yeah, and so and I'd always been clean, which cost me dearly in the clubs. Yeah, because you know it's uh, tell us some jokes we can dance to. Oh, here comes a <laughs> slow one; you can slow dance. <laughs> uh, I mean, beer bars, pool halls, honky tonks. Yes, because that was the glue that held the tour together. Not all the clubs were week long, nice improv, funny bone. Right. So, and I, and I thought, well, I'll be, a, I'll do a corporate comedy, the rubber chicken circuit. Yeah. And man, that money is so much better. I remember my first co- corporate gig. Uh, they flew me to Indianapolis, put me up in the Marriott. The bellman had come out to get my bags. This never happened before a comedy club gig. Um, I'm getting ready to order off the menu for dinner. They're paying for it. And I, can I use the F word on your podcast? Oh, you can do whatever you want. Okay. Uh, Full frontal nudity, if you want. <laughs> <that. laughs> yeah. Uh, I said to the bellman who's taking my luggage up, I turned to him, I go, fuck comedy clubs. And he looks back at me and goes, "Yeah, fuck comedy clubs." <laughs> Played right along, got a ten dollar tip. I, um, absolutely. That's when I made the decision. Uh, I was just going to do corporate comedy from that point on, and 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 it got really good till about two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when everybody didn't have any money, and, and my got a business fell eighty percent over. Yeah. Boom, and we did. I, I didn't have a Coke habit, or flat screen TVs, or C We just had um. I had a condo in La Jolla. Had some negative cash flow, and we sunk a we sunk. $300,000 into a $600,000 farm, sold all the other real estate. Figured if I had half equity, I'm bulletproof. Mm-hmm. But with a $2,300 a month house payment, I just couldn't keep up. So we filed chapter seven and, and nearly killed my wife. I mean, she was just, and I was in charge of the money. So I'm feeling guilty. I know the Lehman brothers had, you know, the big short had a little something to do with this. But, right. but I was in charge of the money. So, and, and mentally ill people tend to be more empathetic. Mm-hmm. They feel other people's pain more acutely. So, um, I got an inch on the roof in my mouth. I could only scratch for the front side of my nickel plate at 38. So, that's when I put the gun in my mouth. And then I realized I had a million dollar life insurance policy. That was what I was thinking. See, people say suicide's a selfish act. It's almost always just the reverse in the mind. Because right. I'm thinking she's better off without me. She'll miss me, mm-hmm. but she'll have a million dollars. She'll be mm-hmm. restored financially. Right. Most people think the world would be a better place without me so but i had sold insurance so i knew that they it had a two-year suicide clause right okay nowadays now this might be telling i know about that clause <laughs> yeah how the hell do you know about that clause <laughs> most most people have no idea Well, they don't pay if you to commit suicide no, yeah, they, do. Yeah, they, After they do two years they do why would they have two years well they just don't want you to buy the policy and blow your brain right out. yeah they want yeah. you to have to wait yeah so uh i call my insurance agent Kind, caring, and obviously very uh, soon, soon to be obviously very, um, per, um, you know, perceptive gentleman. Hey, Graham, we're chit-chatting away because people who have the mental illness are great actors. The reason I have a screen actor's guild card because I'm a great actor. Um, and I said offhandedly, "Hey, how long about that policy?" Because I don't know check. I hear him clacking the keys. comes back on. He goes, "22 months," and then it then it hit him. He goes, "And no, don't fucking do it. Do not do it because he he had gotten those calls and delivered those checks in the past." Mm-hmm. And and he said, uh, when he hung up, he told his wife, "I think Frank's going to kill himself." So it was 22 months. So there were two months to go. So here's where chronic suicide is full circle. Because I was willing to pull the trigger in two months in a day, it allowed me to live to make it for two months in a day. Because I knew mm-hmm. that's that's the thing about suicide. People say to me, "Why did he want to kill himself?" Probably didn't want to kill himself. Probably just wanted to end. The pain. Yeah, and I knew in two months and a day, pain would be gone. So that allowed me, as long as that's on the table. Long, I my book's going to be called "Um Live uh, Life in the Exit Row," starting the conversation on suicide because that's where I sit. And then window seat sit in the exit row of life? Just too bad. Fuck it. Boom. Right. There's a show on Showtime with Ricky Gervais. Uh, Afterlife, I think it's called. Yeah, I think that's what it's. Called. Wife dies of cancer. He's terribly depressed says his boss one day is trying to cheer him up. Look, don't bother. Don't, you know, if things get too bad, I'll just kill myself. It's kind of my superpower, which I'm, I'm looking at the screen going, Oh man, somebody on that, they took my material. Yeah. Like what's going somebody, on? Somebody either he or somebody yeah. on the staff has it. And then the next episode two guys come up to rob him at knife point and he goes, well, what if I don't give you the wallet? And they go, we'll kill you. And he goes, you know, for a lot of people, that would be an <laughs> inducement. And while they're trying to figure it out, <laughs> it's, it's a guy squaring the nose. Because, you know, Sun Tzu, do, do exactly what your opponent would never expect. Right. Yeah, it's just like, well, what? And I, I've had those fantasies. I, I was having it yesterday. There's a 76 station near where I live where I get my gas every morning. And by the way, I told this daydream to a friend of mine. And then when I got done, he goes, man, i got to get better daydreams. Because I didn't know. Not everybody daydream that way. I mean, it, mine's in living color with a script and sound bites and blocking and lighting and and I, I know what I'm gonna say to the news media when it's all over. You know, you shot and killed a guy. Well, you know, good guy's one, bad guys zero. Anybody got a problem with that? <laughs> I mean, I got that mm, sound bites, and that's what happens. I'm in there and some guy comes with a gun, robs a place, I'm gonna make my coffee, you know. And he's screaming at me, <laughs> I'm still making my coffee. I'm gonna kill you. Oh god yeah. You know. I've been trying to do that for decades. <laughs> if I can't do it, I'm really curious if you can. Yeah. And, I, and, and in my <laughs> script, I say to him, uh, you know, if I had known that on this day in this place, it was going to be death by dumbass, I would have relaxed for the last 40 years and just waited on it. You know? <laughs> right. Oh man. Yeah. But that, that's, that's how, you know, and I've been through that scenario. I can't tell you how many times. Sometimes I throw the coffee in his face, always killed. Um, because I'm the hero, maybe, you know. Right. You shot him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you had you, you had the gun and you still shot him. Yeah, well, yeah, again, well. here's the, here's the sound bite Well, you know, he dealt the cards, I just played my hand. God. So, uh, again, that's part of my superpower is that, you know, it's it's that, you know, again, w- the power of somebody who has nothing to lose, to stay relaxed in a situation in my mind where somebody's got a gun out and they're waving around, they're going to kill everybody, uh, you know. Go ahead, go ahead, pull the trigger. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, my wife's going to get a million bucks. Uh, I don't have to commit suicide. Right. You're going to you know, be very socially acceptable. I'll be a, you know, I'll be a hero. Yeah.
0: yeah. Everything's coming up Frank. <laughs> <away>. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I had the first valve job. I got a human heart valve mm-hmm. from a donor, either a cadaver or an attorney who wouldn't use it. And then uh, that lasted 18 years. <laughs> and and which is a long time for a human valve. And then yeah. I got I got a replacement in um 2012 and double bypass because it was two for Tuesday. And then 2014 had a heart attack. I'd driven uh, two miles from the house, parked the, the head of a warehouser trail, got the dogs out of the car, half mile up the up the trail, heart attack that's a bad place to do that yeah i mean i have my cell phone but i got t-mobile so no service. no service. yeah and by the way it gets a laugh no matter where oh gosh that's so true because
0: comedy's based on truth
1: yeah that's it so i realized if if i don't get back down the hill i'm toast well i'm with the dogs and we're we're a pet-centered family and i'm like we're like the marines no we leave nobody behind because if i die on that hill and they get back to the street I mean, it could just be really ugly. So I know for if for no other reason, I got to get back the car. You're get, doing it for the dogs. Yeah, to get them yeah. in the car. Um, and it's killing me, oh man, it's killing me. And um, people always ask, you know, what were you thinking? You know, about your family and, you know, to see a light. I had, I had two weeks to go I did my first TED Talk. I'm walking down the hill, I'm crying because, A, all the time and effort I put into that TED Talk and all the lives I could have saved if I could have just delivered that TED Talk. Mm-hmm. What I wish I'd have been doing down the hill, which would have gone viral, was even though the phone wasn't working as a phone, Just I should have recorded a video a video, and I was saying goodbye <laughs> to everybody. Right. Jane, you're the best little sister ever. And Andy, um, her husband, you're a dick. <laughs> Just go through, you know, you know, love, love, love. You're all right. Yeah, love, love. Because if I made it out and posted that, it would have gone viral. Oh, oh my yeah. God. I can't believe I did it. But um if I had wanted to die, because people think you're depressed and suicidal, it's 7, 365 and that's not it's generally not. Well, especially get therapy and Medicaid. But if I want to die socially acceptable, death, if I'd been in a bad place that day, I could have sat down on the trail, let the heart attack run its course. Only the dogs would know I chose. They would find me, they think, you know, well, obviously had a heart attack, had a cell uh oh, T Mobile, couldn't get out of the woods and died. This episode brought to you by T. mobile <laughs> yeah, he's got big, these new commercials running about how they got this great new system and it's the best, this, that, That's and the right. other. And like, have you heard of Oregon? <laughs> every, every time I complain about it for the last 10 years, well, we're putting up new towers. Finally, I said, okay, name two. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a hundred dollar credit. Okay. Anyway, awesome. I know we're, we're running along. No, 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 no.
0: I, no, all this stuff is really, really great. So, I, okay. So let's just say some, this is going to touch somebody. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's going to it's going to definitely like, oh, yeah, that's me. That's me. Or and that might even just be me. But it's going to do that for somebody.
1: Well, and it's not just the suicidality. Um I had a friend, his wife's stay at home, mom, depressed on medication, but had struggling. So I said, look, you guys sit down and watch my first TED talk. Mm-hmm. He's watching her watching me. When it gets done, she goes, hey, I didn't know anybody talked about that kind of thing out loud, mm-hmm. much less on video on YouTube. And so, and we invite, I mean, I invited her to come to coffee. We do a crazy coffee clutch. All my crazy friends get together. We take off our game faces. But it was a revelation to her that people actually gave voice to those feelings out loud in public. Because she's yeah. so ashamed. And she's improved. You know, she still has depression. But she's sure. improved ever since that day. So maybe somebody watching who, I can't believe that guy's talking about, you know, putting a gun in his mouth, being depressed, you know, whatever. Yeah. So if someone's got those feelings, if someone's experiencing this, what what's
0: the best thing for them to
1: do? Well, uh, let's talk about the best thing for you to do. Um, the depression by the way, if you, if you think maybe so, A couple of symptoms, one is, um, trouble getting up in the morning, rallying in the afternoon, let their personal hygiene go. Um, don't take joy in social occasions. They used to take great joy in. sleep mm-hmm. too much, eat too, sleep too much, can't sleep, eat too much candy. Um, you don't say to them, yourself up by your bootstraps turn that frown upside down have you tried fish oil yes i know i can't tell you how many times i've heard it have you tried the essential oils? yes i'm with this company no please <laughs> uh, you know i'm so excited right i'll open the vein right here right now um the you say i'm here for you and me you say look i know you're not lazy crazy or self-absorbed mental illness is an illness. Good news. Time and treatment. Things will get better. I will take the try- time. I'll help you get the treatment. Now, mm-hmm. here's a question you got to ask. And this is the one I even struggle with. You got to ask them flat out. Are you having thoughts of suicide? Yeah. There's an urban legend. You should never mention the S word in front of somebody who's depressed. I love the reasoning. It might give them the idea. Suicide. Oh, what? what? I never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, how do you know if they don't say they're suicidal? How do you know? Well, Talking about death and dying, Googling death and dying. Death and dying appears as a theme in their artwork or music. Uh, Gathering the means to die by suicide. Stockpiling pills, buying a gun, ammunition. Giving away prized possessions. They want to make sure they go to the people they want them to go to. Mm -hmm. And if they give away a pet, that's top of that pyramid. That's very dangerous. Here's a counterintuitive one. If they're depressed for a long time, then happy beyond measure for no apparent reason. They may have chosen time, place, method, as we said, and the pain is finite. Yes. You see the light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. Right. And in in this case, it's a train coming. (laughs) Uh, But it's the end. I mean, the the thing, and the problem for that is people want them to be happy and they're happy that they're happy, but don't understand. It may be they're happy because, like for me, I knew that it was coming to an end. Um, And see, that's it. uh, Oh, and what do you say to somebody who is, um, here's what you don't say to somebody who's suicidal you're being melodramatic. You're just looking for attention. Nobody who talks about it ever does. 90% of people who are rolling up to suicide give hints direct or indirect or behavioral in the week leading up to it. So people who talk about it do it. Um your job, if you believe oh, then you said you have a plan. If they have a plan, what is your plan? If it's detailed, you need to get them on the phone with the uh just so have written the Lifeline one eight hundred. Eight hundred
0: two seven three eight eight something something the other way anyway. eight
1: eight two yeah, somebody's like for <laughs> <night. For that
0: laughs> we are doing a terrible job
1: eight two what eight two what five eight two
0: no the other side the other side okay eight two five 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 yeah I'm sorry
1: yes <laughs> it'll be it'll be
0: in the notes too
1: yeah I'll put it in the notes and, or if you're if you're a younger and mm-hmm. there's now a text line because young people are more forthcoming in text is there an Instagram line yet not yet should be. Uh but t- text the word connect to seven four one seven four one. That's the text line. Seven four one seven four. Lastly, they always ask, people always ask, would not call the cops. If they're in immediate danger to themselves or others, call the cops. Now that's gonna buy them three days involuntary detention with no shoestrings or belt. They're gonna be pissed. But I'd much rather have them alive, pissed, and unfriending me than right. dead. So you need to persist. And if you can't ask the question, are you having thoughts of suicide? Find somebody who can. And if your intuition tells you, if you had just had that random thought, God Bob's gonna kill himself go with your intuition there's something you've seen or heard your brain has put it together on its own always go with your intuition does that make sense yeah i mean uh,
0: err on the side of caution yes so like, so come up, go ahead, man you know uh, i mean the worst case scenario in that case is uh, ah i'm so embarrassed i'm so sorry yeah right but the the other yeah. option is you, you don't have this person. So around
1: po- I saw a so. podcast. They list some symptoms and you know what? You've you got like three out of the five or four out of the five symptoms. Is it possible you're having thoughts of ending your life? I mean, that's because 80% of people, eight out of 10 want you to interrupt because they're ambivalent about doing it. Yeah. They want somebody to go, Hey man, look, no bullshit. What's wrong. Right. No, I'm fine. No, 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 no. That's horseshit. Yeah. Something is wrong. Uh, let me close the door. You can tell me. Good stuff. Um, well,
0: that was awesome. It's been, uh, I don't know how. Unusual? It, it, I, you know, th- that's what the show is. It's so unusual. <laughs> that's um, good. Yeah, it's good. I, I enjoy doing this show because of this exact reason. Uh, but it's been, we've had a good conversation. Yeah. Now we gotta, now we got to come up with a sketch and actually perform. How was that? I mean, I can speak for myself. The story about the flat tire really drew me in and for some reason really spoke to me. If you found Frank as compelling as I do, then you probably want to find out more. Frank, where can people find out more
1: about you, the mental health comedian? The mental health comedian, whether it's .com or on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, is the mental health comedian. And all my TED Talks are on YouTube type in Frank King TedX Talks. No, there'll be links to everything in the okay, show notes. And so. I'll send you the one uh, the clip where I lose the duck on Star Search. If you
0: loved everything you heard and you wanted to hear more, there actually is more. All you have to do is go to YouTube.com, look up Sketch Comedy Podcast Show, and subscribe. We have all of the complete conversations, including us setting up the sketch, coming up with the sketch and then actually recording the sketch so you can hear the raw sound of what comedy sounds like when it's the sausage that we're making and you can hear it if you want youtube.com/sketchcompod and you can hear all of that good stuff and now our sketch not the X-Men with Frank King
1: previously on X-Men
0: hi professor x yes hi i um i i I saw the ad that you put out um on instagram which which ad the the one that you said that you could make you can make anybody into a superhero Uh, that's not a direct quote but you well well, it it says you can you can unleash superpowers there you go
1: okay all right so here here's the way we feel about that have you seen the movie as well when the wizard is floating away in the hot air balloon. Glenda the Good Witch says, you've always- Had the power? Exactly.
0: Oh, so it's it's within me already? It may be. So I'm a
1: mutant? <laughs> uh, what if the mutants is not really a mutation? You're not a mutant. You're just an adaptation because of you know evolution. Tell me about yourself. Tell me, um, I mean, uh, I like to do this. Mess stresses, and successes okay so tell me about your message tell me what you struggle with none of
0: the things i do seem to really be successful you know i'm, I'm not really good at my job well do you, do
1: you feel like a superpower would make you better at that job i don't know i sell insurance what do you think are you passionate about insurance I don't care about insurance. It's not going to make you a better insurance salesperson. Okay. All right. You know, what are the stresses in your life? This girlfriend that I dated for four years in
0: college. Yep. We were both virgins when we got married. Had sex for the first time and it was awful. Now she wants to have sex and I am scared of it. So is this superpower
1: you're looking for? Sexual dynamo or? I mean, I'd prefer flight. You know, being ass kickingly good at foreplay. Here's my advice on that. Get some lesbian porn and watch the way the women work. On each other. That's the key to turn your wife around. Tell me what you're your best at. I really like cooking. Iron chef yeah. is not a superhero competition.
0: Yeah, I I see what
1: you're saying. Okay. Okay. Well, tell me about your mental state. Have you um have you been ever been diagnosed with any sort of mental ailment?
0: I was always told growing up, don't make your problems other people's problems. Sure. Yeah. Well, make your make your problems my problems. That's what your problem is. It's hard to make it through the day. I have a hard time waking up in the morning. Yeah. I'll lay in bed and uh, stare at the ceiling where it's got the little dots and you can like see. Pictures in it? Uh, I'm almost embarrassed to admit I can. No, I'll stare at those for like like an hour and a half in the morning. Lord. Yeah, we'll talk about the afternoon. Do you rally in the afternoon? Do you? I drink about uh, five or six cups of coffee in the afternoon to get through the day. Yeah? Well, do you you feel like you have depression? Oh, I don't, I wouldn't say that.
1: What do you ever feel hopeless? I mean, doesn't everybody feel hopeless all the time? Sounds like to me that you have major depressive disorder. And what your superpower may be is something called depressive realism. Depressive realism. You see the world far more accurately than people who are neuronormal. It's almost like the matrix. You can see the matrix behind the facades. That, I believe, is your superpower.
0: Whoa, that is a really cool superpower. Yeah. I think I already have a code name. What is? it? Insight, what do you think?
1: Yes! Can I join the X-Men? I should have told you before we started, we're not the X-Men. Because all of us have a mental illness of some kind or other. We're the x Men. Thank you
0: so much for listening to Sketch Comedy Podcast Show, lovingly produced in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed the show today, I would love it if you helped me out in one of two ways. The first one's free. Just... Share the show on social media or write a review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. That would be so helpful and so wonderful, and it costs you nothing. The other way you can support the show is financially. And I'm just going to give you a little behind the scenes. Uh, There is no money in podcasting. I do this, and it costs me money to do it. It's a passion project. But if you'd like to help offset those costs, which I would really appreciate please head over to patreon.com and to reward you for as little as a dollar a month, you'll get all of the bonus material. And let me tell you, in this episode, there was a ton of things that did not make it into the episode that were still incredibly interesting. And now for the fun part. Sketch Comedy Podcast show is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. If you'd like to use this work in any way, please contact the show and request permission. Look, life is made up of stories. Find interesting people, have an intriguing conversation, and improvise an adventure all of your own. See you next week!